thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today we are without our beautiful Karen, but we have an extraordinary guest on the show today. Somebody I met a couple of years ago in New Zealand through my sister. He happens to be her chiropractor. And when I got to meet the gorgeous Todd Maxwell Preston, I realized that behind the man that hails from the USA is a fascinating and extraordinary story. So welcome to our show, Todd. Welcome. Thank you for that. (laughs) Oh, Look, sweetheart, it's a great pleasure for us to have you on the show. You are a phenomenal human being, and I'd just love it if you could take us back. Take us back to the beginning um, maybe your childhood, where you grew up, the fascinating story. Like, you just give us give us the whole thing. Um, okay. Well, thank you for that introduction. That was very lovely. That was very kind. Um, well, I, where do you start? Um, I guess I, my parents. My parents are Kiwis, and um, they joined which was a big pilgrimage for them. Ironically, they joined the um, Mormon church in about 1970 uh, in Newcastle, Australia. And, and that uh, took them. Then they went back to New Zealand where they had one child and then they continued continue to have about six or seven more. And uh, my father made a lot of connections within the Mormon hierarchy in the seventies in New Zealand and kind of, well, not kind of, he became, a director for the Institute Seminary Program, which is essentially religious instruction for teenagers. And he was over that in the 70s for all of New Zealand. And in, with that, he was traveling back and forth to, to Utah, Salt Lake City's, the, um, I suppose you'd, you'd call it the headquarters of Mormonism. Um, so he was meeting a lot of the hierarchy um, in, in the Mormon church. And with that, it was 1979, seven kids, my mom and, and father from New Zealand, um, immigrated to Utah and, uh, and then ended up having a, I think two or three more kids. And, um, there's five boys, five girls in my family. And to this day, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm 46 years old and I'm the only one out of the 10 kids that has actually, actually resigned from the Mormon church. It was a big thing. Um, that's the religious side of it. Um, what else, where, where else do you want me to go with that? You want me to go to with the chiropractic side or? Yes, please. So chiropractic, I am a chiropractor, have been for, have been in private practice, uh, for about 19 years now. Um, I have two brothers out of five, there's five boys in my family. Two of them, be, uh, two others became chiropractors. Our grandfather, who was not a Mormon, um, on my mother's side, became a chiropractor back in 1933. He was also a Kiwi. And, um, who was that? Uh, William Hyde, my mother's dad, William Hyde. And he actually fought in the world war. He fought in world war two in the Royal Australian army. And, uh, he married an Australian, my grandmother. And they, of course he went back to New Zealand and, so in 1933, when he went to chiropractic school, 
the only chiropractic school that, that was on planet earth was Palmer yeah. chiropractic college, um, in Iowa. So he did that via boat. And so he really was a pioneer in chiropractic. So he was like one of the first five chiropractors in New Zealand. I, so, have, yeah. I have no doubt about that because, um, my dad's a Kiwi and he, um, went to chiropractic college after doing pharmacy in lower heart, New Zealand. Um, and, uh, you know, I am sure that he would have known. My dad's 91 now, but I'm sure that he would have known um, your grandfather. So I'll, I'll have to ask oh. him. That is just so amazing that, yeah. No but, doubt. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, definitely. All right, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I love that. Um, so, you know, and when I decided to go to the chiropractic route, I was only 22, 23. Um, to kind of track back into, um, cause you know, that's been quite a, quite a journey. Um, one of my chiropractic brothers, as a side note is now he retired after 20 years as being a chiropractor and now teaches seminary, uh, for the Mormon church in Utah, uh, at, for, at a high school. It's, they implement, uh, religious instruction, um, or ideology, Mormon ideology, I, I would call it to roughly 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds um, as part of a subject at their high schools. And so that's a paid position that he works for the church. So he, he does religious instruction to teenagers, essentially, which is kind of interesting because my dad ran that program in the 70s in New Zealand. But going back, um, you know, as, as the... Uh, as a Mormon, because a lot of people out there do know a lot about Mormons. Um, but of course, a lot of people don't. And it also can usually strike up a conversation of a bit of curiosity as to what they believe in. But there's some, there's some strange things that they believe in. No question. And I had to become somewhat of an expert in Mormon, in, in Mormonism and, and especially Mormon history. Can you give us, um, the history of um, how it ended up in Utah. Wasn't it young or? Um... Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, actually, it was Joseph Smith. Um, <laughs> Joseph Smith was the original. Uh, he called himself a prophet, but he was an original founder. Um, at quite a young age, about 27, 30 years old. He claimed that he had gold plates that no one ever saw. And Mormons would tell you that a few people saw him and were witnesses, but they didn't. Um, and he, they, he fabricated that story or he created that story of the gold plates that were of the ancient people of America that Christ, after his crucifixion in Jerusalem, visited the Americas and he taught them his gospel and, and all that kind of stuff. And Joseph Smith restored those that he restored what was meant to be Christ's gospel in 1830. And, um, and, you know, voila, you got Mormonism. Well, then he was, because he started the practice of, of um, polygamy, and he was doing it in secret during the mid to late 30s and into the early 1840s. And that was against the law in the, US, in the United States. So he was hounded by the federal government and got a lot of flack, as you can imagine, from neighbors and other people around him because that practice was unheard of. And, um, and it led to his murder where he was shot because I think he, he had married himself. He practiced polyandry as well, which a lot of people don't realize what polyandry is marrying yourself to other men's 
wives. So you, oh. can, you can imagine after doing that a few times, he pissed off a few few males. Husbands. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. And they literally led a mob that shot him in, in, in jail. And so he died. And uh, the martyrdom of Joseph Smith, um, it, it was picked up hastily by Brigham Young, which they were already kind of making roads to go west um, because they were in Nauvoo, Illinois at the time. It started in upstate New York. They ended up in Nauvoo, Illinois. Anyway, they ended up um, kind of scurrying out of the Midwest to East Coast because they were hated. They were really hated. They weren't a, a well-liked people because of the things that they were doing. And there would be ten to 15,000. They really, for 10 years, went hard on getting converts. They proselytized very aggressively, as they still do today. Uh, well, I wouldn't say they do aggressively today, but back then they did. I mean, they were pretty onto it. But Brigham Young led them to the West, which ended up in the Salt Lake Valley. But, of course, back in 1847 when they arrived, it wasn't Utah. It was just Indian territory, or sorry, Native Americans. And uh, that's where they set up. And they never left. And I think it was about, well, not think, it was about 50 years later, they reestablished, in order to get Utah made into a state and basically become their their state, they had to denounce uh, polygamy, which they did in a form of what was called the manifesto. And they did it in 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 written form legally, but they really didn't in practice if that makes sense. No. I, well, I know that it makes sense because I've read a couple of books out of Utah. One was Escaped and she was in a yes. marriage. So, yes. Yeah. And you know, you know what's really interesting? And I've been to Utah many, many times. I love Utah. I love the national parks. I love the skiing. I love the scenery. I, I love it. And I didn't realise anything about that until I went to Salt Lake and I had never been to Salt Lake because I went to all the country places and, and, and saw the tabernacle and the extent of it. And, yeah, so if, if anyone wants to go to Utah, it's still a safe place. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yes. It's the best yes. national parks in the absolute world. I love them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the best skiing too. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I was a snowboard instructor. I grew up in, in a small valley in Utah. And yeah, without, fo you know, we, we could focus on, yeah. In a nutshell, the Mormon religion is, was, well, back in the 1800s, it was very theocratic, which for those that may not know what a theocracy is, it's basically you got a prophet from God that claims to be a prophet. And he basically gets to, because he's the mouthpiece of God for everyone, he kind of gets to have his own little happy dictatorship, which is not really called, so it's not really a democracy, no. um, like the U.S. was founded upon. Um, so that created some problems and they've got a, they've got a pretty gnarly record in Utah, but couldn't agree with you more. Utah is an absolutely stunning place to visit. It's got four, I think four, your, some of your top national parks. And yeah, I've been to all of them as well, like Zion's and Bryce and Mo and arches down in Moab and, and yeah, the skiing and snowboarding is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the Mormon religion today um, I have an ex-father-in-law that was a speaker of the house for Utah. So it was just kind of below. He ran the political process at the state capitol in Salt Lake City there for about seven years. And I know for a fact, well, anyone that lives in, New or in Utah does, that the Mormon church has a 
has an um, incredible strong, not just input, but influence over the, the legislation of, of laws in Utah, as you can imagine. Well, even to, even today, even today. Uh, yeah, and I know that because um, my children are 29. They're adult children, 29, 27, and 25, and we were in Utah over uh, the Christmas New Year period, and they had to carry their passports to get into a bar. And mm. I actually complained about it, and I said, well, what if they lose their passports? They can't get out of the country. Um, but no, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't bend the rules for me. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the, the alcohol laws are, are a little archaic. In yeah, they're very archaic. I want to know, um, did you do the, the um, is it ministry, you know, <laughs> the few years? Did you do that and what was it like? Yes, yes. It was a, uh, the, the, it's called a mission. And when you are born, I was born into Mormonism. In 1973, I'm 46 now, so for the listeners that don't know, I was born, so yeah, my parents had been fresh into the church, I was born in 73, so any young man, especially young man, that's, that's young boy that's raised in the Mormon church, it's, it's, it's really taught that you'll go on a mission one day, and it's a two-year experience, the church or the Mormon church, or the hierarchy, the missionary program, they call it. They, once you turn 19, actually today they've changed it as of a few years ago. It's 18 now. It used to be 19 when I went. You, they send you anywhere in the world. Um, so you could go to anywhere. You could, could have to learn a language. I had a brother that went to Brazil. Ironically, I had already been in Queensland back in 89 for a year of school on the Gold Coast. Um, but in 92, I got sent to Queensland. I got sent to Brisbane Mission right here. And, um, yeah, so I knocked on doors in Queensland. It was a fascinating time in my life. You're 19 to 21. I actually don't regret it. Uh, I regret, you know, I was a fairly young, well, every year, everyone's young at 19, but very arrogant. Thought I had, had the answers to everything, as you do when you grow up in Mormonism. Um, I had a quick answer for everything, you know. I always love to get into a, a heavy-duty discussion with the Bible or the Book of Mormon or any holy scripture but in reflection you really don't know anything as a young man you're only what you do know is what you've been taught you know what you've been told so but it's you know it's it's a it's an interesting process to go through as a young 19 year old because most 19 year olds aren't knocking on doors trying to sell religion but <laughs> being at that age and feeling like that is your life, did it also open your mind as to what was outside of the church by doing the missionary um, stations? Does it did it make you look at the other side and wonder how the other half lives, so to speak? That's a great question. For me, not really. I was pretty close-minded at that stage. Um, what I had kind of on my side. I was definitely, I was very inculcated and, and missionaries obviously come in all forms and all different types. I was very regimented. Um, I was very disciplined in terms of my, um, work ethic because you're, you're, you're kind of, you, it's very structured in the mission, but you do have a little bit of leeway as to where you can go and what you can do. You always have a companion with you that's assigned to you. So you're never by yourself. Um, but for me, I, gobbled up. I was a real reader. I, I, 
I fell in love with literature early in life. And uh, when I was on my mission, all I did was read Mormon books. Um, and there's a lot. And that's when I started really delving into the Mormon history from a lot of Mormon authors. And so, no, you're, you're too, to answer that question, you're too um, protected. And, and anyone that has a different view, I had a lot of people show me, try to show me alternative views on Mormonism and some of its more insidious type of stuff in its background. And I just, you, you just, cognitive dissonance flies up very quickly when someone shows you a potential, um, something that can contradict your beliefs or your ideologies at that time. When you're that young, you just shut it down. You're just like, I don't, I don't want to hear that. You know, you, you've been told though your whole life that it's anti-Mormon literature and it's the devil. Uh, interesting. You know, um, another thing that happened, Todd, was my mom, my dad went to New, um, I, to America, to Iowa, met an Iowa girl, brought her back to Australia. She, he was Kiwi, brought her back to Australia. And because she was American, we had all the, um, the young men in our home for as long as I can remember because everyone would meet them and say, oh, there's this American that lives in Bendigo. You should, you know, meet her. And my mum, you know, we had them in our home at our dinner dinners. I would, you know, at a our dinner table, I would say on a monthly basis. So um, I wondered what my dad would have been saying as a Catholic. <laughs> to them. I wasn't listening and I wish I had now. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of, I met on my, when I was a young man here, I, I mean, because young missionaries, we, we didn't drink, it's very strict. You don't drink coffee or tea or alcohol, um, certainly don't smoke anything. You, so you live a very, you know, you don't date girls. You, there's, that's totally off limits. You don't, you know, you can when you get back, but while you're on it, you don't even look at girls. You're scared to. And that's when you're 19, 20, 21, that's kind of tough, but. It's just part of the, the whole discipline process. But, yeah, I met, I remember sitting down with Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Catholics, born-again Christians, Assembly of God, Muslims, even Muslims. So, you know, and not only that, being in, in suburbs of Brisbane and Townsville and the Gold Coast, these are areas I was put, I was put, I was put in those areas without even asking to, that you're assigned. Do you have assigned areas? You don't choose. And I met. It was, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I met kids that had been sexually abused and women that were going through domestic violence and coming from Utah, a very white, um, in the eighties anyway, in the nineties, uh, growing up in Utah, you, Mormons are strange, but you don't grow up around alcoholics and, and women that get beat in, in whitewashed Utah. <laughs> you grow up around people that are very non-confrontational, very, uh, good, a lot of a lot of really good people in the Mormon Church. That's that's the you know there's a lot of good people that just are kind of that's all they know. You know they're just trying to do the best they can, and they really devoutly believe in what they believe in. Like a lot of people that have a, a, a you know a religion or a tradition in their family, it's really family oriented. And um, yeah, I don't know if that answered that question, but yes, it does. Um, is it true? that if you're a woman in the Mormon church, that you must be attached to a man to get to heaven. Yes, it is. That's <laughs> there's a lot of, there, there's no doubt. There's a lot of misogyny in the, in the Mormon church. It's very patriarchal. In fact, 
I've often made the, you know, and that's what eventually got me out of Mormonism um, was stepping away from it. And my continuation with literature and reading, I decided that I was going to read when I was 23 and 24 and 25 after my mission. And I was married by then. I decided it was time to read some other stuff, some other books um, by people that were labeled anti-Mormons. I'm like, what kind of ax do they have to grind? I've been told they have an ax to grind. Well, when I started reading those books, I'm like, hang on, they don't have an ax to grind, actually. They're not even mad. Okay, this is interesting. But yeah, it's a very... Unfortunately, the Bible brought that whole view. It wasn't just the Mormons. that very pur- puritanical, white view. And I say white because, you know, it says it pretty pretty strongly in the Old Testament that anyone that has colored skin was cursed by God. You know, so that's kind of where that whole framework and women were less than men and that kind of puritanical, misogynistic, you know, white skin people were the people of God. And let's not forget their God is also white. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when you start reading other stuff, you're like, hang on, this might be a little bit racist here too. So there's a very strong racist, um, a lot of racism in Mormonism. Talk us through, you say you got married. So how old were you when you got married and who did you marry after reading your book, um, Religious Rehab? I, I'd love you to lead us into the journey there and your children. Were you studying chiropractic at this time? Were you allowed to do that? Give us give us some more details of what it was like to be married in there. Yeah, the um, the that's a great question. Um, married at 23 two years after getting back from Australia, she was my, my first wife was 19. I married the oldest of six kids and her parents were quite young. She was the oldest. She was only 19. I think they were only about at the time I was 23. So I thought they were old, but they were probably just in their early forties. And, um, he was a politician in the state of Utah and it's seven, eight year, eight generation Mormon deep, you know, very staunch Mormon. Um, had served in a lot of higher callings in the church. My, my, at the time, father-in-law, um, getting married in a Mormon temple is very, it's very different than just your normal wedding that most people would be familiar with. Um, but you know, when I went through all that process, I was a full, I was fully believed in the Mormon church. Um, as did my wife. At the time, we were married for 12 years. We had we had three daughters, um, and then towards the end of our marriage, like the last year of our marriage, we had our fourth daughter um, that wasn't planned because our youngest, our third youngest, was six. And um, I guess you'd say the last few years of our marriage were the last three to five years of our marriage were pretty strained because I had been on a journey of reading about everything I could get my hands on. And I didn't really have a roadmap. You know, I didn't have anyone really around me in Utah to go to and say, how do I do this? How do I go about this? I'm discovering all this, these lies I've been lied to and I'm really pissed off. I'm discovering all this stuff. Who the hell can I talk to? So I made the mistake of thinking that everyone would be interested in historical truth. And I quickly found out within Mormon culture, they they weren't interested in it at all. In fact, they wanted to, they wanted to bury it. Um, it, it was getting me into trouble. So 
I was obviously you're naive when you're 25. So trying to get out, out, trying to get uh, information and the truth when you're kind of smack dab in the middle of a religion like this, a high demand group like this is um, you're in a real pickle. You're in a real jam. I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have help anywhere. And back then it was 2004, 2005. There's nothing on the internet yet. And now there's a whole, you know, there's a whole world of ex Mormons that you can connect with as of like 2010. So it's, it's good now for people. A lot, a lot of people are getting out a lot easier. Yes. You obviously were deciding that this wasn't for you 100%. Your, your wife was struggling and given she's a seventh, eighth generation Mormon, it would have been very much indoctrinated into her and she wouldn't have been looked upon very fondly if she questioned it. I imagine. What did you do? That's a good question. I um, I got rebellious. I got I got I got angry, you know, not at directly at her because I knew she was in a tough spot. She was angry with me too, you know, because she felt like I had walked away from our original promises that we made to, to each other and our my original beliefs because those changed. And I said, well, I'm not the one that lied, but she didn't understand that. Meaning, the church is the one that lied. They're the ones that have whitewashed their history. I just discovered it. But yeah, when someone's deeply involved in the church, um, in the Mormon church, like she was, because she is a really good person, um, they, ha- they know they're going to make a choice that if they go down that rabbit hole, then they're going to lose pretty much all their relationships. You commit social suicide. Her family had already shunned her a little bit just from not going to church for six months. So you get the silent treatment. So it's not an, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, and she was in pretty deep and I probably was too young and immature and egotistical to really be a safe place for her. If that makes sense, her, this only safe place she knew was her parents and her family. I was not, I was just too young. I was too young. If I was, there now I'd probably be able to navigate it and help her get out. But I was too upset and angry and I didn't know what was happening to me and what, and our, and my family and the, I didn't know how to navigate that minefield. Let's just put it that way. I can't even imagine it, Todd, like a young <laughs> man, 25, four kids, uh, you know, well, almost think- it's, and then you're in this uh, belief system that, you realize the truth of, um, you know, that's, that's a tough call. And then, and I, and I've got a successful chiropractic practice in Utah that I loved that. I, I loved my practice. And that was just it is, is, um, towards the end, I kind of, it just towards the end, when I say the end, towards the end of our marriage, um, her fa- family knew where I her dad came to me a few years early and he, they, he, he asked where I was with the church. And I had a decision to make I, with my own father and my father-in-law at the time. And it was to be honest. I can either be honest here or I can continue bullshitting. And I just was like, I got to be honest. I, I got to be honest here. And I, I knew if I was, my honesty would sever my relationships or having any help from anyone. So in the end, it came down to, I didn't know how it was going to go down, but I knew it was going to be ugly. I knew that if I decided to walk from Mormonism, I had to get divorced. I would probably lose my family 
and I mean, I knew I'd lose her and her family. That was for sure. I was trying to figure out how I'd not lose my kids, but I just, I didn't have any help. Yeah. You don't have any help. And that's what I wanted to really drive home is I was really well read and it was, I'd gone from 25 to 35. So that 10 year period, you know, a successful business. Well, I had a, it was successful to me. It was, you know, a, 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 um, raising three girls. They were at the time 11, uh, seven and or 11, nine and, and six. And in, and, and I really was almost convinced by a lot of friends and my family when I decided to get divorced and move out and move on with my life and resign my membership from the church. I, through one of my sisters, it was filtered that I was a homosexual, that I was crazy, that I had lost my mind. And I remember at the end, I had gone through a year of therapy, which I haven't talked about, which was an amazing experience, which is really awesome. Um, I needed that. Um, and the therapist, I might add, he was in Utah and he was from Minnesota. He was transferred there to a university as a psychologist that was actually um, not a big fan of the Mormon church. So it was a good therapist for me to have because I think at the time he was my only source of, he was my only outside source that wasn't biased, if that makes sense. And uh, so honestly, in the end for me, when I walked, I I knew I had to do it, but I was still convinced. Like, I think they're right. I think I have lost my mind. I think I'm crazy. <laughs> it must have been a, um, a challenging thing for you. You obviously walked away. You boarded a flight and you had two friends put a note in front of you saying Mormon rehab. <laughs> talk us through that. That was about three months before I actually loaded up my car and, and drove out of Utah. But yeah, that was, I was going to visit a, 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 ch- a friend that went on a mission. He was still a Mormon, but he was definitely not believing it anymore. And he had a girlfriend in New York. So that was my New York. Yeah, that was when I boarded the flight. And, and well, when I landed in New York City, they picked me up at the airport. And uh, sorry, it was actually Newark. It wasn't New York City. It was Newark, New Jersey, across the river. And they had Mormon rehab written in Sharpie on a, on a downtown New York City map. And that was obviously an inside chuckle for him and I. Him and I actually went on missions at the same time. He went to Japan, so he spoke fluent, fluent Japanese. And uh, him and I are, grew up, so we've known each other since we were about eight, and grew up in the Mormon Utah culture. He's the only other Mormon I know that I grew up with that has left. He left about six months after me in terms of resignation. You have to resign your membership, and it's really it's quite daunting. They don't make it easy on you. Um, but that was a joke for us. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it's quite sad, really. I mean, there's a lot of people when they lose their – talking about the, the song by um, R.E.M., Losing Your Religion. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it was tough. It was tough stuff. But, you know, once you get out and you realize you meet the, you, you, you meet the larger part of the world and – you start to realize, oh, okay, not everyone lives their lives like that. It doesn't mean that everyone should live the same way. We're all different. But my recollection of the book is, is that you, you left the church. You were pretty much barred, banned, disdained. No one, you were not allowed to see your daughters. It was over with your wife. Mm-hmm. 
where, what, what do you do? Yeah. You got no money. You, yeah. What do you do? You jump off the George Washington Bridge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which I which I almost did a year after I got divorced. Um, I lived by, right by it. That's why I was kind of it was the George Washington Bridge. I was like a five minute walk from it for about a six weeks of my life. But anyway, um, yeah, I, that seemed like a really good idea, but uh, I didn't because I knew my daughters would be given a really good line. I knew that I would really wreck it for them. That they would never leave. I thought I would be there launch pad one day to help get them out because i knew for me i knew i was in a cult this religions don't behave this way when you just want to leave this is not normal behavior i knew that this is not normal you know you can be a you mentioned catholicism earlier you can be a catholic and stop going and you're not going to be hunted down are you no no they definitely not i stopped at 21 and i wasn't hunted down at all maybe they, my father maybe it's a little <laughs> Yeah, you know, you get in the Mormon church, you get hunted down by strangers. But, so um, what year are we talking about right now? Where are we? We are, oh, when I was talking George Washington, 2009, 2010. So we're in modern day. This is not, this is not something from 1800 something. We are modern day. You cannot see your yes. children. Yes. You can, you're kicked out completely. Have you seen your daughters since? Not since um, um, I left to New Zealand. I went from New York City back to Utah for six more months trying to see him. I saw him a few times then, but it was heavily, heavily screened visits. Um, mind you, I've got to say, and I put it in the book, I wrote two memoirs, The First Sacred Road. We're talking about religious rehab. Religious rehab is really about me trying to find my feet, it's like a two-year, two-year-ish of find, trying to find my feet, the difficulty of finding my feet, I couldn't. It was really hard. Uh, it was harder than I thought it was going to be. But I haven't seen my daughters since 2010. In November, when I flew back to New Zealand to try to restart some type of a life, I was trying to in Utah, but everyone I knew was Mormon. So I, my name was already my name. I mean, yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I, um, and it just wasn't happening, you know. You say that certain things aren't meant to happen. I don't know. It was a tough thing. It was tough. I tried to be there for him. I wanted to be there for him. But just nothing would um, nothing, nothing would work out. I made, early on, though, when I got divorced, honestly, and I, I got to say this, I made some bad choices in terms of um, probably the choice to be there for my girls. But in saying, I say, you're probably saying, why did you make a bad choice? Well, I sold my business. I walked away from my business. I didn't even really sell it. I walked away from it three months after I got divorced. And that was the one thing I should never have done if I was going to have somewhat of a fighting chance to be there for my girls. But looking back on it now, I don't know if I would have emotionally, if my, my mental, if I stayed in Utah, even in that business and had a, you know, that financial help, um, I don't know if it would have been good on my mental status. So your oldest girls are now of marrying age. Yes. Well, my oldest daughter, who I haven't spoken to, I think I've spoken to her once in the last um, nine years. She's actually on a mission in Canada. Yeah, she's 22, 21. She'll be 22 end of this year. And, and to her, I'm the devil. 
I wondered how you would be described to them and um, how I've, yeah. I would be like a um, in any other normal culture, like here in Australia, they'd, I might as well be in prison like I murdered someone. That's incredible that that, that is allowed to happen. I'm insane. They think I'm insane. Of course. Well, you are, you know, from, from yeah. their world looking out. It's yep. funny, isn't it? Like you, were, you mentioned the word cult. The amount of events and wellness things, even chiropractic, the amount of things that we've spoken at and had the privilege to be in, in group situations that yeah. partners or families looking in on this wellness revolution <laughs> that we're seeing as a cult. But my goodness, the word cult is actually quite a, a very big word. Tell me what your definition of cult is. Um, when you're, you're going through ordinations, and um, ceremonies inside Mormon temples, and you're promising to everyone in the room that if you um, break any of those promises that you've made that day, that you'll be in the devil's power. That, for me, is a cult. And you're making right-hand signs and secret handshakes that were taken from the Masons, and you're doing it in front of your parents and all your family, and they've been doing it. Mormons used to pantomime in 1990 the slashing of their throat, that if they ever revealed the secrets and ordinances that take place in Mormon temples, that they'll take their own life. So that's what I'm talking about with a cult. Yeah. It's heavy stuff. I did all that. I went through all that with my parents in the room, wearing gowns and hats. And crazy stuff. They've been doing it for like 185 years, and they've dialed it back. The hi the history of the ordination in the temples is it's diabolical, yeah. and they've watered it down. How many people do the Mormons believe are going to get to heaven then? Uh, they only believe you're going to get to heaven if you become a Mormon, and that's what they do in their temples is they're doing baptisms and other ordinations that it does. It's not worth going into here, but... Mainly, they're doing baptisms for the dead. They've baptized Hitler. Why? Because so, they believe that everyone that's died is in a spirit world and awaiting potentially uh, the resurrection of or when Jesus supposedly comes back, like a lot of other religions believe he's coming back. Um, anyway, they believe that these people have the opportunity to accept that baptism in the spirit world. And if they accept it, they get to go to heaven. That's what I, that's what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah, there, there's some crazy stuff. I can't actually picture how you kept your sanity through this time. I want to fast track you landing into the <laughs> I know you had hardly any dollars to your name. You have penned a lot of your thoughts Talk to us about how you came out the other side of this and, and why New Zealand became a bit of a haven for you to replenish the soul, so to speak. Well, it was, it was I, I have, a, have a New Zealand passport, thank goodness, so that was number one because um, I, was, I was born there. Um, my parents moved to Utah when I was six. I don't think I, I made, made that point earlier. Um. I mean, look, at the time, it was like the, it was 2000 and end of 2010. I had one friend that was huge help that I had flown down about six months or about a year earlier, actually, and stayed with him for two weeks. So that was good. That was when I was living in New York. 
I flew down to New Zealand for a two-week kind of reconnaissance trip. I didn't know it was, but, it, it, but looking back, it it, it kind of was. Um, yeah, I had two suitcases and 400 bucks in my pocket, and I just said, had said goodbye to my daughters. And um, what helped keep it together for me at the time, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I just used to say to people when they'd ask how I was doing, and I had a few people that were close to me that knew I. I'd gone through, you know, it'd been a tough, tough couple of years that uh, I just had one thing I focused on, which is be grateful for your health. And I used to say to everyone, I'm smiling and breathing. And I'll tell you what, I had some of my best, my favorite books with me that saved me. Um, you know, I have had like 10 books that were my favorites. And when things got tough, I'd go to my books. So tell us what what those books were. <laughs> They're very, most people on this podcast have probably read them, but one of the most life-changing books for me was uh, Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. That's the book for me, actually, before I left Mormonism, that really made me realize or the liberation of that my entire life had been one big fat lie. <laughs> but I was able to kind of laugh about it without judging the situation or, or myself, for that matter. I was able to go, okay, not necessarily your fault, but... All right, buddy boy, it's time to pick up the pieces because this life you're living isn't the one you chose. <laughs> you know, it's not the one you chose for yourself. It was the one that you'd been, been choosing to make your parents and everyone else happy. And you obviously had to go through it to really understand what was, you know, what was going on. Um, you, you obviously know the book Escape that I mentioned, mm. which must have been happening about the same time as you. Am I, am I right? And did you? I think that was about, yeah, I think she was about um, uh, Jesse something, was it? Hey, Jesse. Jessup. Karen. Yeah, Jessup, Jessup, one of the Jessups, yeah. Well, I should point out that that part, the religion she's a part of is Mormonism, but it's it's not the mainstream church. They are, there's a lot of splinter groups in Utah that have splintered off. They have the same beliefs, but they believe in still practicing polygamy, where the mainstream Mormon church that I was a part of does not practice polygamy today. So they're the fundamentalists, are they? Thank you. Huh. Yep. Okay. That's exactly the word. You're right. So that was about 2006, 2007. And then you had the whole deal going down uh, that I think made world news in Texas. Um, Warren Jeffs. Yes. Who was a prophet. And he went, he's officially, and I mentioned him in my book as the fundamentalist. He's in prison. Well, he now. had 400 women wives, wasn't it? I'm not sure how many he had, but the real, where he kind of, he had not just, a, he, he had some 14-year-old wives, whereas he, which is what got him in prison. Yeah, there was another book that I read. I don't know why I was so enthralled with the church. I think because I had really good friends here that were Mormons and, mm -hmm. you know, my son was best friends with one of their friend with one of their sons. And I think I wanted to understand what it was all about. And I, I think the one that I read with the 400 women was Stolen Innocence. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen that one too. I haven't read it though. I read a memoir by, um, that was the 19th wife of Brigham Young, um, Anna Young, Anna something young. And yeah. I read that about five, six years ago. That was fascinating because that was back in the 1800s and, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, I actually thought you were a fundamentalist the way you were talking. 
you know, it's interesting. You said earlier, it's funny you say that. I'm not surprised, but no, I wasn't. I was more the mainstream Mormon church, but you said earlier that it's fascinating. This was taken, this has taken place in 2009 and 2010. And I mean, I've spent my life reading autobiographies and memoirs and, uh, and I have a lot of my favorites. I love autobiographies. I love history. You know, I love reading about people that lived 200 years ago and, and, uh, you know, and someone said to me the other day, they're like, and this is kind of, this is the journey of literature. This is the journey of history. It's like, you know, 12 years a slave is, uh, I was saying to someone the other day, I mean, that, that guy that wrote it, wrote it like 150 years ago. I'm not exactly sure. I'm paraphrasing there big time, but who, who was it that wrote? And then they made it into a movie. It was a really big blockbuster movie. People forget when he wrote that book, 12 Years a Slave, at that time, that was just around the emancipation of slavery. Most people would have been like, oh, they would have read his book. They would have been like, well, big deal. You know, this happens every day. Yeah. And it wasn't until 100, that's a lot of, that's history. It's not until usually 100 years later or 50 years later where, where people that are finally reading and going, oh, my God, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you reminded me of when you were saying, is this 2009, 2007? My, the books I wrote, I feel, and I don't even know why I wrote them. I still don't know why this day, but I felt like I had to do it. But I, um, I think that's going to be the case is the same thing is like, I don't think it's that shocking. It was, I, maybe it is to you guys. I don't know, but I, a lot of people that hear your story and stuff, it's not that shocking yet. Does that make sense? Yes, but yours is shocking. Trust me. Oh, okay. All right. No, it's still good. <laughs> I, I love what you wrote. There's a line in your, in your book that I actually highlighted when I read it. Um, whether a spiritualist or a Catholic or a Wiccan or an agnostic, the saying, be what you want to be and believe in what you believe is what makes our species. Once we take a hard line on what we believe, it closes possible doors into other worlds. I want to know how your world opened in New Zealand and tell us how you met Dana and then how your life and as a chiropractor now, just the work you do is profound. It's phenomenal. And now we're lucky to have you in Australia. I know we've been talking a lot about coming through the Mormon thing, but how did you open uh, other possible doors into other worlds, especially around beautiful Dana? Um, Just... Uh that's a great question. I part of me wants to say I don't really know, but I do. And in, in the sense that uh, I just stayed open, you know, I, I I didn't take anything that had happened to me. And this is the part that I actually do really, really know well. I didn't take anything that happened to me personally. I knew that it wasn't personal. I knew that it was just a big bullshit set of traditions that people hang their hat on. And if my name was George or Scott or Bob or Larry, that I would have been treated the same way. It was, so I just would tell myself it wasn't personal. And because of that line of thinking and my philosophy on that, whatever you want to call it, I just felt really lucky. I felt like I was really lucky that I escaped with my life intact. And I just stayed really open and really vulnerable. Back to Brené Brown. I wasn't afraid anymore of being vulnerable and being hurt. That's why I wrote my memoirs. That's why I self-published them. 
Because even, and I've been, you know, even the flack that I took for, the criticism, and there's been a lot of criticism that hurt, you know, that, that, that hurt me at times. But I realized that none of it's personal, that, that it's, you know, um, it's a powerful thing to be vulnerable by just staying open and realizing that we're just human. We're all just trying to, you know, aren't we? Aren't we just trying to be the best that we can be? I mean, some humans, I guess, aren't. But a lot of us are just, you know, we want to actually be better. We want to try to do better. We want to, you just don't know what's going to happen in your life if you stay open. But you certainly know what's going to happen if you close it down. So that's, you know, the Dana was kind of effortless. That happened as soon as I got to New Zealand. And and she was a very open soul herself. And it just kind of happened. I didn't even think it would happen. I was still writing a lot. And it happened. And I... You know, when we met, it was like I was meeting my soulmate, to be honest with you. And I know some people find that a little bit of, uh, that's what we both felt. We felt like we were, uh, we'd come from the same background, not Mormonism. She wasn't Mormon. She was from Kansas. But some of the, we just felt like we came, had the same scars, the same wounds. And I'd been, I was a little older than her. And, and it was just bang right out of the gate. We, we, uh, I took a lot of, uh, criticism too from my family for marrying her. I, chose eight people and we got married on the beach in New Zealand. She was pregnant with our first daughter. I knew I, I got heavy. Sorry. <laughs> you rebel. You, rebel you. <laughs> I know. But you know, I'd, I kind of had lost everything. Everything I lost, I didn't really, I guess you could say it. I, the, the hardest I fought was for my girls, but I didn't fight. I didn't really fight anything. And that might come back to, I don't know. I, might, I, I was honest, as honest, as honest as I could be with myself personally and who I was. I felt like uh, coming out of Mormonism and going back to New Zealand, I felt like if I couldn't be who I was, whoever the, whoever the fuck that is, sorry, sorry for swearing, but I felt very strongly about that. If I can't be whoever I am, then I don't want to live. You know? So... Absolutely. That's what drove me, you know. If I if I if I can't be honest, what's the point of being here? Tell me, you. I mean, we can hear your babes in the background. <laughs> You've got three gorgeous children. Tell us their names. Uh, yes, Raven seven now, um, and uh, Raven, and then uh, my second daughter. Her her name's Rio. And she's five, and my son that you can hear in the background, he's two and a half, and his name's Rumi. I like a lot of my favorite poet. I know I'm I'm in good company here is Rumi, the poet Rumi, R-U-M-I, the 13th century Persian poet that I know so many people adore. It's like a whole new life. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, sometimes I don't believe in myself. When I was editing Religious Rehab two years ago with my editor in New Zealand. He was my editor. Was a sixty-three-year-old Scottish guy that lives in married a Kiwi and lives in New Zealand. Fantastic editor. And um, when we were going, it took us about a year to edit it. And I was like, "Oh my!" God. And I'd written it. It took me about six years to write. Anyway, when I was going through, I was like, "I don't believe this story anymore is mine." I felt quite detached from it. If that makes sense, not detached, but I just didn't seem like it. I didn't feel like it was mine. I did, almost didn't believe it. But it was me. Well, it was like the um, 
Margaret Harrod, who we um, interviewed last week, she said the same in a way. She, she, she just said it was like looking back at something else that was happening. So, mm. yeah, it's interesting, very interesting. Todd, you're one of the most well-read, mm. most intelligent, most gorgeous souls I know. If you could tell our beautiful audience, if you could give us all one gift or one message that that you think, I mean, apart from, you know, understand who the F we are, <laughs> um, you know, I loved your thing about, you know, stay vulnerable and I love your quote that you weren't afraid to be afraid anymore. What, what would be some messages that you'd love to leave our listeners with based on your, maybe your chiropractic philosophy, your philosophy as a dad, your, your vision about it not being personal? What, what would you say to our listeners? What, what could they take from you? Wow, that's a fantastic uh, question. And, uh, yeah, and thank you. That was very kind of you to some, some of the things that you said. You're very kind. Um, and it's not a question that you get asked very, very often. Um, for me, what has probably served me recently the most, and actually probably in the last decade, because the more I read, and there's so many beautiful books out there. Uh, I mean, I, I love nonfiction predominantly. The more I read, the more, the, the less I seem to, um, the less I seem to know. And sometimes you can get a little bit, Sometimes you can get a little bit um, down on our world and planet Earth and the whole mind-body wellness thing. You know, it can be a little daunting in terms of are we going to get through this as homo sapiens? Are we going to destroy this planet? I think the best thing I would leave that has served me the best is to try not to – I try to specifically not have any beliefs that I adopt. I try to be very careful – with selecting ideologies, political parties, following one person. Um, what Mormonism taught me is to stay open and question everything. In my 20s, I thought I knew it all because of my religion, because of my inculcation. In my 30s, maybe because I thought I knew it all, I lost everything. And now in my 40s, I actually question everything. And I try to not have any beliefs because if you, if you hold on to a belief system of any kind or any ideology, you might miss out on a lot of stuff. You know, I find you as a human being just one of the most engaging. When my sister told me, you have to meet Todd, I knew <laughs> that for her to say that, that was not a light statement. She's gutted you've left New Zealand to come over here, but I'm excited that you're here. Tell us about your chiropractic practice now. Where are you working and how can people find you? Because I can imagine there's a truckload that would love to come and see you. Oh, that's nice of you to say, Kim. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I am working in two, two separate practices. Um, one is in Burp and Gary um, on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday mornings. And I'm not sure how long that's going to – I'll keep that up, but – and the other one that I absolutely love is the community. Well, we live, my wife and I live in Bly Bly on the Sunshine Coast, and we love it here. It's, it's a beautiful part of the, of the world. I, I don't think I have to say that to anyone, but stunning. But, um, and the other practice is in Noosa, 
um, on Thomas Street. And I'm in Noosa Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays now. How, how do we find you? Though? Is there any website, or Facebook page, or anything? Oh, yes, actually. I always forget. I've been blogging on as a writer. I mean, I'm a chiropractor by day, and and you know what fuels me as a chiropractor is just when someone tells me that they're back to doing what they love, you know, because they're feeling better. That that's always awesome. Um, but um, I I write a lot still, and and I've worked on a anyway. I'm a I write a blog on Medium. Dot com. Have you guys ever heard of that? Yes. I'm just so just my name, Todd Preston. I'm on Medium. I write blogs all the time about it, mind, body, wellness, everything. Parenting to religion to um, your soul, life after death to I don't even to traveling. <laughs> so that's that's where you can find me in terms of writing and then Amazon of course I got Sacred Road and Religious Rehabber on Amazon um as those two memoirs and then um I don't know oh no I don't have a website anymore but I do have a uh I think that's I phone number no we won't do your phone number oh. inundated <laughs> everyone will call you <laughs> so, Facebook? have you got a Facebook page no, yeah, oh yeah, my um, but it's yeah. There is a religious rehab Facebook page actually. Yeah, religious yeah. religious rehab. I'll put that up on the notes. Awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to 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 leave us with today, Todd? As we come to the close of our podcast. Just thank you, thank you, ladies. You've been uh, super warm. You've been very kind. <laughs> And I'm very grateful to just, it's uh, its not something that I have done. Uh, I think I was on the radio once, and not that this is, but in Pyroa about five years ago. That was cool. That was all kind of, kind of there's a little bit like this, actually. But um, no, it's uh, just thank you. Thank you for having me on and for your time. It's such a, a treat to have someone like yourself give us your story, your insights, your knowledge, your education, and and even your profound wisdom around certain things. And I just want to say to our listeners, follow Todd. You know, go to his, his blog, try and, and get hold of his two books, Sacred Road and Religious Rehab. I've really enjoyed reading them. I also think you're an amazing chiropractor and with that beautiful philosophy that we love so much around the innate intelligence, not only of the body. I'd like to say that it's your innate intelligence that has also guided you to to be down under where you're the father of seven, obviously, I would imagine, four amazing daughters and then your three children here. I think one day I hope that they get to listen to this and they get to understand and appreciate who their their real father is. And I sincerely hope that your three children now get to understand what a what a gift it was that you did challenge the the hierarchy and you did actually step into your own truth and your own voice. And if I've taken anything away from today, it is to be yourself, own who you are, stay in your own lane, and probably most importantly, educate, be open to reading, learning, and always believing that um, there's more to know would be something that I've taken away from you. Cindy, is there anything you've taken away especially today from our gorgeous Todd that you'd love to share? Oh, there's just, I think there's a lot that I've taken away, but I, I think 
what I'm going to do is I want to read more about you, Todd, because, you know, Kim has introduced um, us to you. And now I'm, I'm going to go to medium.com and I'm going to read your articles. Um, we've got your book here, so I'd like to read your book because I was obsessed with what was happening in um, Utah, maybe because I visited it. Visited it. Um, and I'm just, I didn't realise it was the fundamentalists. Uh, that non-fundamentalists were that were um, a cult. I assumed it was the fundamentalists that were. So I think, yeah, you know, I've I've learned so much from you, and I I have had my um, I've just been blown away by this whole conversation. Um, so you've met, now got my interest back again to learn and read more. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Todd, my final comment to you is, and I think one of the greatest lessons that all of us could take on, is to not take things personally. Yes. So if our listeners, if you are keen to follow on this conversation, um, of course, remember, go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. You can place your comments and feedback there, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash up for a chat please go to iTunes and if you really are enjoying these phenomenal conversations that we're having with incredibly beautiful, open, vulnerable, wise souls, then please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until then, guys, we look forward to catching up with you all next week, same time, same place. But become, remember to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you soon. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.